Hello and welcome to A Fistful of Truth. Uh, I am your host, Delara Essengill, and this is my podcast that you can find on Spotify as well as Anchor.fm for the audio version. The video version of this is available here on Spotify, and you can also find me on my blog at DelaraEssengill.blog, where I will feature an article about my guest, my very special guest today. Welcome to A Fistful of Truth, Paul, Paul Tashira. Welcome. Delara, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, well, Paul is a very good friend of mine, so uh, I'm going to read to you a little bit of his bio because I could go on and on about him. So I'm just going to read you guys a little bit of um, what Paul has done and what he is doing. And we're just going to go into a conversation because he's a very interesting person. And we have some really cool things to talk about today. So um, Paul is a native of uh, almost my hometown. Well, the same thing, same county. Close and- enough. It's the same town, Watsonville, California, where he currently resides. After 31 years of service with the Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Office, uh, Paul retired in 2018, and his years of criminal, civil, administrative, investigative experience, including internal affairs investigations, gives him a deep understanding of his community and human relations. And in addition to his extensive resume in law enforcement, um, Paul also served as the sergeant in charge of the bomb squad in your jurisdiction. But since then, you've retired and you uh, followed a passion for food. You've been a sushi chef. Um, You have a radio show. You have an amazing blog where I can't even look at it or I'm hungry, even if I'm full, because you guys have to check this out. It's going to be all of this will be in the podcast description so you can find and connect with Paul. And also, finally, before we go on, um, his show Ghosts and Grub on KSCO Radio, his um, blog is the Foodie Booze Explorer, and Paul is a, uh, it, uh, by the words of John D'Souza, who I can't wait to introduce these two, um, is a para-investigator for the paranormal with his years and years of experience. So. I'm going to stop right there and hand it over to you. So is there, if there's anything I missed or anything you got, you want to add to what I said, please go no, you, and tell the audience. You covered it well, <laughs> uh, Delara. It's always a delight to uh, get to see you and get Same. to talk to you and catch up and all those wonderful things. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, well, thank you for being here. It's my honor and pleasure. And I could talk to you all day. You know, in fact, you and I did some work before the COVID hit. And you were, um, you, Paul was to be one of our featured chefs uh, nationwide for a company that I had started um, with my, for my employer since before COVID called United Steaks, but it is no longer around, unfortunately, but um, I know, but it was pretty cool. We got to do one event together. <laughs> it was, it was a way cool event. Way cool. So, way yeah. Cool. You have some pretty cool knives there too, Paul, I have to say. Yes. Yeah, you know, and, and I was lucky I haven't cut my fingers off yet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, knives kind of scare me. You know, guns don't scare me as much, but knives kind of scare me. Knives are scary. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you. But, you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't for you and United States, uh, I really um, my opportunities would have been a little bit more limited. It How? between. Between that and Imura Japanese restaurant where I was working as a sushi chef, mm-hmm. really opened the door for KSEO radio. And uh, that combined with law enforcement, uh, ghost hunting, all of that uh, threw me onto that platform. And uh, radio was where I was really diving into both of those worlds. So if it wasn't for you and United States and Imura Japanese restaurant, I would not be in that platform. 
Well, I would, I don't think I could take really any credit for that because you have such a rich and intense background and you're such a talented person. And um, please check out Paul's blog because you will get hungry. And then you <laughs> might even get mad thinking you're actually gaining weight by just looking at these photographs. But <laughs> um, Paul, I, I thank you for that. But you do stand on your own merits. And I do have a lot of respect for you as a human being, as well as your professional career. So um, we could go on and this could just be an hour long appreciation session, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but our audience will be like, we need to hear cool yeah, stories. So, um, what you, you are currently, so you, you tell it, tell us a little bit about, um, let's start off in like a linear fashion. So you worked in law enforcement. Um, we met there obviously, and I was yeah. working in the DA's office at the time. I was a young kid. You were a very young kid and we were both greener than a green thumb. Uh, right. but you know, those, those times are behind us. And now we have a plethora of, of, uh, sometimes painful and sometimes pleasure, you know, but it's all, it's all wonderful when you look back experience life experience. So you started off in law enforcement. Yes, and, I did. And then, um, what, uh, what, cause so I, I kind of know the story. So it kind of feels funny asking you questions where I know the answer asked and answered, but the audience doesn't know. So you went from law enforcement to. Yeah to well uh, from law enforcement which was again it was 30 31 years of, of full-time service mm -hmm. there, there's been a couple of years even now where i go back uh, and do some contract work uh, so i'm not necessarily doing like police work anymore but i'll do a lot of administrative stuff for them mm -hmm. um, so i'm still it, tied it into never ends. yeah it, it never, never ends it never ends <laughs> and, and so believe it or not i'm entering my 35th year with the sheriff's office a completely different, you know, capacity. Right. So, uh, but it's nice to have one foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And and really, I think the reason why I do it is I, I still like to be invited to their parties. And, <laughs> and, and I want to be known and, and I want to stay in contact with the people that I, I love dearest. And that's all of that right there. So, so I always keep one foot in the door. I understand that completely. And that makes it, it makes for a good uh, history and I love visiting when I come home and um, I used to run into you at the courthouse and we still have our memories there. Uh, right. So, you know, what people don't know uh, about what I was doing in law enforcement besides enforcing law and police work and, you know, being a police person uh, is uh, on some of those calls, I encountered things that I can't explain. And you could only chalk it up at the end of the call when you're walking away is that I, that may have been paranormal. Yeah. And in those days, you, you really, you couldn't say that out loud because they would think you're crazy. And then, uh, you know, the administration would be like, Hey, Paul, come, come sit in my office. <laughs> in this padded um, chair with your hand yeah. tied to the back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. <laughs> um, but I would have calls. And in those days, uh, ghost hunting teams and paranormal investigators didn't exist. And in fact, if you thumbed through the old style yellow pages, you would you would find nothing in there about paranormal. In fact, the only thing you would find is maybe a, a psychic palm reader uh, advertisement. That would be the extent of it. Uh, so uh, trying to, to give advice to a person who says, look, I'm not going crazy. I do hear the footsteps in my house, the door slamming. I hear voices. 
Uh, and look, I'm a, I'm a single mom and I have children. I'm not crazy. Uh, I have a job. I'm a participating member in society. And you're standing there and you know that it's happening, uh, but you can't offer really any help whatsoever, except to maybe if they believed in it, to go find a priest and maybe have them come to your house and, you know, cleanse your house. That, would, that was really the extent of it back then. But I came across so many different calls where it was just that, uh, voices. Mm -hmm. uh, I would be in the corners building, dropping off a body, and I would hear things. I would see things. And, and even myself would be, I would question myself, going, did I really just see just that? hear that. Yeah. <laughs> or hear that. Yeah. I understand that so much. Right? So, yeah. But I had to stay silent because the admin would be like, okay, you're going to the funny farm. You're out. Right. So I, I really just kept that to myself until I retired. Once I retired, I was no longer bound by any of those policies. So off I went to ghost hunt and off I went to uh, the, the KCO radio show Love it. and I was doing my thing and I was sharing the stories. I could finally share the stories that I had while working at the sheriff's office. So that's what I've been doing since I retired from there. And of course, along the way, I picked up a job at Yamura Japanese restaurant. I had been a long time customer there. So I had been there 20 plus years. They knew I was gonna retire. And in that final week of retirement, they caught me in this drunken sake moment, <laughs> sitting up at their sushi bar. And they talked me right into to working with them. Oh, wow. Okay, so this about was, a week, I about didn't... a week after retirement, I showed up over there and they, they threw me into the frying pan. And I was, I was learning by trial and error. Uh, it wow. was all immersion learning. Wow. And, um, it was sink or swim. And fortunately, I was able to swim. I totally did not know this part. I thought you yeah. had some secret sushi training that you no. were like ninja doing on the side. And then nobody knew with like the knives. And suddenly you were, <laughs> yeah, I really did. I, I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> yeah. There I was. Uh, and I enjoyed about a, a year and a half of that. Very cool. I like how you always uh, are open to what life presents you with. And I know in your field, you have to be that way or else you don't survive. You have right. to navigate through circumstances, people, places, things instinctually. Yes. And I think that plays a big part of your success because you know how to follow that. I, I learned very early on, especially through the sheriff's office, if, if opportunity was knocking on your door, well, you better answer it. Because if you miss that one, you're you're never going to be asked again, and that it's that so opportunity true. will not be there again. So so true, and it goes for the opposite too. Like you know how to avoid situations, and it's yes. it's it's both you know both uh, negative and positive. Yes. So you have to balance that, obviously. But um, yeah, it is a skill at at the same time, and it's a learned skill. But it also takes you know a certain type of uh, faith to ride that wave, right? As yes. we say in in our hometown. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was some fear to it, but uh, once I got both feet in, I was in and, and then it was all good from there. So I spent a long time, folks, when I was back, uh, not banned on social media as I am now, I'm probably one of the most banned people you'll ever meet um, from the normie social media stuff. Um, I'm still here, here for now. And um, I, while I was on social media before the banning, 
I swear, all I would look at is either a few cute like puppy and animal pictures my friend would always rescue. <laughs> and I had this feed of like Paul's food and I wouldn't even recognize it was his, his, his creations. I thought he was just taking pictures and I'm like, whoa, I had no idea you were that talented and no idea that that's how you learned because your stuff looks really pro dude. Like I'm looking at a magazine picture when I look at your sushi rolls and then I read the descriptions to people and people are like, where can we get that? And I said, well, unfortunately it's not down here. <laughs> so when are we going to get the cookbook? Are you going to write a book about this stuff or? Maybe someday. <laughs> Well, I, I'm buying if you're writing. Excellent. Um, so you went from, uh, it's Imura, right? Am I saying yeah. Imura? Yes. Uh, I've never eaten, been there, um, but I do have a good excuse to go. Imura, <laughs> you went from Imura to the uh, radio show, correct? Yes. Ghosts and Grub. But the radio show is also connected to your blog in a way. Because yeah. it has to do with your, okay, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, the, uh, the Foodie Booze Explorer blog started while I was actually working for Imura Japanese Restaurant. And it was just a personal travel blog for me. And I was just sharing it with a few friends. And, and then it kind of just mushroomed from there. But uh, PSCO Radio really liked the fact that I was a local kid who was doing some local culinary stuff. And they, they brought me to the radio show as a guest to do that. So I was talking about sushi and the host had the wherewithal to ask, Hey, I, I also know you're, you were in law enforcement. Um, did you ever have, ever have anything happen to you that was paranormal? And I said, well, yes, I have. And that then exploded into uh, them offering me to, to come and, and to be on KCO, to have a show called ghost and grub. And their main emphasis was for me, to go out and find paranormal teams, go on an investigation with them, showcase their work, then bring them back to the radio station to talk about it. And while I was in those towns and cities, I would drop in at restaurants because I like to eat. And I would always, I would always ask them, hey, where's the best place to go? You're the local, you know, send me to the local place. Don't send me to a place right. you don't like and, and certainly don't send me to a chain restaurant. Uh, Send me to the mom and pop place. Yes. And, and they consistently would. So that fueled uh, the grub part of the show. And then I'd be able to talk about that food, that experience, maybe talk to the chef and, uh, and bring these two things together into one show. So uh, when you are, when you are talking about ghosts and grub, cause I have not read every article of yours. <clears throat> I, I read the ones when I get them and I can, and I've got time and I'm right. looking at it. So I've noticed that some of them actually have a twist of, okay, there's food and there's paranormal activity here. Yes. And so is it always that way in, in the Ghost and Grub show? No, uh, a okay. lot of the time, if I get lucky and the place that I'm going to do the ghost investigation, if it happens to be a haunted restaurant, mm -hmm. uh, then we get two for one. And we, we get to do the food part of that in a haunted place. And we could talk about those hauntings and. Then I get to talk to employees about what they experienced. Mm -hmm. So other times it's just me finding a restaurant in that region and then checking out the, the local food. I have a question yeah. about the times where it is two for one, where you're going to a restaurant and it happens to also be haunted. Cause I worked in a place like this when I was in, uh, 
college or law school in San Francisco, uh, law school, I um, was wondering when you do end up in a place where there is a uh, presence and it happens to be a restaurant, do you find and do you ask questions like if there were any crimes that had been committed? Do you research the history of what has happened at that place? Yes. It, uh, one building in particular was an Odd Fellows building. So it was what? over 100 Odd Fellows. Okay. I don't know what that building. is. It, it was uh, back in its day, 100 years ago, it was basically a men's club okay. uh, where, you know, kind of like the uh, Masonic uh, okay. temple kind of group. Got it. Yeah. Uh, it, it runs along those lines. So a lot of history over a hundred year span of this particular group. Well, they had many buildings throughout the United States and they, they called themselves the Odd Fellows. And typically with those buildings and because of the, the practices of what they did back in those days, those places became very haunted for whatever reason. And once that portal was open, then it invited everything else in the area to come and hang out in the oh, building. Wow. So we, it, in, so when we do research, we often find that uh, there had been some homicides that have taken place there. Some people had died accidentally, uh, but because of portals, uh, others were just stopping in to visit, uh, cause some, some trouble along the way and then be gone. So that's where you'll see in a lot of those older buildings poltergeist activity where you might be the bartender and all of your wine glasses might fly off the shelf all of a sudden. And so it's incidences like that. It, that's typical of restaurants. Yeah. I worked in a place like that and there was a, like there would be cigar smoke that, yeah. and there would be no, nobody, there would be nobody <clears throat> there. It would be closed and you would actually smell the cigar smoke. Right. Uh, sometimes you would feel a tap on the shoulder in the basement and there was like abs. I did not like going there because <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> too inexplicable. Show me a crime scene every day. But if you, if I can't see you, don't tap me on that shoulder. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, these are things that I, I, um, I, I, not to mention it again, but I will just briefly because it's so relevant. And I just happened to have talked to John D'Souza who he worked, um, these paranormal cases. And so many people in your field that have worked in law enforcement that have had to deal with crime scenes. Uh, and, and he gives various examples of this and officers across the United States and people who, you know, various aspects of people who have been exposed to such scenes will often report something inexplicable. And for the same reason you just cited where, you know, you didn't want to go to the padded room and get, you know, kicked out of your career because you know, our society was so uh, afraid of talking about these truths because it didn't fit their paradigm at the time. And now people are more open to the truth, yes. um, hence a fistful of truth. But, you know, um, I, I strongly believe that every crime scene has got to have some paranormal activity, especially yeah. when there is a victim and it's a murder victim. If it's a deceased uh, vic a victim, you know, if the person's yeah, yeah. alive, I think their soul is still here, but yeah, yeah. my goodness. And this is why I think you also, you, you must be, you travel a lot, right? So you yes. go to different cities and, uh, how, how, what cities have you, have you noticed like older cities have a lot more paranormal activity because it's t tell us about like your, a few of your places that you went cities you visited where you find it more so, uh, inclined if you don't mind. I, 
recently have been traveling through a lot of gold rush country. Mm. And in those towns where they had, where it started out as a silver or a gold mining town, it came with a lot of violence, a lot of, a lot of sudden deaths, a lot of tragic mine accidents, Mm -hmm. and it just became ripe for uh, paranormal activity. And so in those towns and cities that are over a hundred years old and have that background to it, almost everything that is built on that land is haunted. Uh, and I have, I have stayed in hotels that were haunted. I, I've had, uh, I've been in restaurants in those towns where you, you just had that feeling. It's everywhere in towns like that. And so any gold rush town that you go to, especially between California and Nevada, mm-hmm. they're going to be highly charged, highly active with paranormal activity. What are your, some of your, it's one of my favorite things are the old Western towns in our home state. I just, I, I'm sure, you know, everybody who's born in California just loves, most people love that history. What yeah. are some of your favorite towns that you visited for the the paranormal uh, aspect and maybe even the food aspect of these Western type towns, if you don't mind? Well, I'll tell you uh, my experience with food in the Western towns, it's all about uh, steak, potatoes, Yes. You know, My yeah, <laughs> burgers, yep. pork, lamb, uh, you name it. Uh, and if they could, if yep. they could grill it or smoke it, man, that's, uh, that's what they'll usually do in those towns. And I'm already hungry, Paul. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most recently, I, I was just uh, in Jamestown, California, just outside of Sonora. Mm-hmm. I know where that on, is. Yep. On the way to Yosemite there. Mm-hmm. I spent two nights at the Jamestown Hotel with a couple of paranormal teams. And uh, not only was the the whole town haunted, but our hotel and all the rooms were equally haunted. Wow. And we didn't get much sleep. Really? Just a lot of activity. Things kept waking you up. It kept you up? What what kind of activity? um, Footsteps down the hallway. You'll hear growling every now and then, voices, um, doorknobs rattling, and these, uh, this particular hotel has kept many of its furnishings and doors that are over 100 years old. So um, it's like a, an antique shop that, you know, plays a hotel. So it's just a lot of attachment going on there. Um, but no matter where you were in that hotel, even the bathrooms were not sacred. They, they will... They will come and let you know that they're there. Wow. So it was an interesting hotel. I enjoyed the, thoroughly my time there. We investigated the place pretty well. Uh, we came up with quite a bit of evidence. And uh, we even had one possession of, of a team member. Wow. So it was, it was a good time in my book. <laughs> do you find yourself, like, do people cleanse themselves with sage or practices after they do these? Yeah, I think. Yes, yeah, uh, before and after. Mm-hmm. And once we get out of the building, I uh, then we, we do it again. And I always travel with um, a psychic medium. And so it becomes her job at that point to make sure that we're, excuse me, okay, we're fully protected coming in and that we're fully protected. I'm good. Just getting my water. Right. Fully protected uh, during the investigation and then afterwards and then on our way home and um, 
it's important steps. Otherwise you'll have visitors in your house. Right. Because um, I've heard of this. I've heard where people yeah. like yourself are, well, there's very few people like yourself. You're one of a kind, but people <laughs> that are doing these types of investigations have often reported when they go back to their home or their doesn't necessarily have to be their home. These entities can attach unless yes. you do your, you know, ritual of cleansing yourself and, and whatever it is that re is required and everybody has their own process. That's yes. very interesting stuff. Um, I had another question. Sure. What do you, just, just, yeah, I love that we're just letting this be guided. What do you think about Yosemite? Just, I know it's not a restaurant and a hotel. <clears throat> I mean, they have a restaurant and a hotel there, obviously. <clears throat> but what do you feel about that park? Because I, I grew up in California just like you did, and I had to visit Yosemite all the time. My parents would do a family trip. You, you remember oh, yeah. the '70s station wagons and the, yeah, you know, the uh, sandwiches and the fruits packed in the back with for your kids. So <laughs> I always had a weird feeling there at Yosemite, at the park. I know it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it, but right. do you feel any paranormal activity there, Paul, when you go there as a human, as, as a human? Who's yeah. There? When I get out of the valley mm -hmm. and I'm more into the areas where it's not so human traffic, you know, uh, like you're out in nature, you're out with, with the wild animals and whatnot. That's when I can really feel the land. And yeah. um, when I'm in the valley and I'm and there's you know hundreds and hundreds of people, it's really hard to to really settle in and, and get a good feel for the land. But when I'm out there and there's not a whole lot of people, it's very spiritual. Um, you can feel the you can almost feel the time of the Native Americans who once roamed that land. Yes. And so it, for me, it's along those lines. And, and being amongst the trees and the wildlife really amplify the, the, the spiritual nature of the place. I agree with you, especially there for some reason, it's super amplified. I yes. feel those things. And sometimes I feel positive and sometimes I feel negative things that <clears throat> have happened there, but I can't identify what they are. I'm not that clairvoyant. And I just, I just have, you know, intuitions, which has right. saved my ass <laughs> like, <laughs> both of us our whole lives you know instinct we were talking about instinct before we yeah were on this uh on this talk here um i have another question too just because i every time you're saying something i is if, if it's okay if i ask um Absolutely. while we're on this topic do you have any experience with what people are calling archons uh archonic energy like you know demonic energy or like things that possess like archons are basically yeah a demonic Spirit, things in a spiritual realm, like, you know, Ephesians, we battle in the spiritual realm mm -hmm. um, that possess people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, can you give us a story or an example or something in your experience about that? Well, I can tell you that, um, and, and I'm not an expert in demonology, but I know enough that I know when um, demonic entities are knocking on my door yeah. and they're, they're trying to get in me, through me somehow, and they'll do it by way of manipulation. They'll make you believe that it's something that you should accept and bring into yourself. Mm -hmm. When you, when, when there's some voice in the back of your head saying, don't do that. Yep. Yeah. You got to You have to adhere to it and you got to stand your ground and say, Nope, I do not accept you. Do not enter me. You have no permission. And you have to do that because along with all good forces, there are evil forces around that. And so good and bad are always playing out, even in the spiritual world. 
So demons and devils and anything that is a dark energy or entity, it's always there. It's always waiting for the opportunity to take advantage of you. And when they find the weak ones, like in the case of my buddy this past weekend who became possessed, he opened himself up too far, wasn't prepared wow. because he's inexperienced and he was in training, right? And they knew that. So he immediately got uh, attacked. Uh, so, um, and had it not been for the psychic medium on hand, uh, he would still be possessed today. So she got in there, reached in him and yanked that thing out. Good. So, good. Um, Amen. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but where there is good, there's always going to be evil. And you just always have to be aware of that, especially in the spiritual world, uh, because those forces are always battling it out. And uh, probably every investigation I have been on, I have come across some dark entity up to no good, trying to do something. And with the right protections in place and with the right preparedness, typically you'll avoid those hazards and they, they won't mess with you, but you really have to be on your toes. Paul, do you ever remember uh, or recall bad guys that you had to deal with in your criminal uh, law career? And do you ever have any sort of like, not flashback, but maybe as you're working in the paranormal realm more now, even though it was always the paranormal realm, it's not like it went away and right. suddenly appeared when you started working in it. <laughs> but now that you're more immersed in this part of uh, in this part of your life in this field, do you ever think because I'm asking this question because it's happened to me recently where I think back to uh, people that were incarcerated for heinous crimes or needed to be incarcerated and just didn't end up there. Um, but you would, you know, in a courtroom or in an incarcerated situation is when I would see them because you guys had already apprehended them. So it was safe for me to look at them. <laughs> but, but sometimes you'd look in these people's eyes, not all the time, and you could just see the possession and I'm wondering if that kind of like uh, reminds you sometimes when you feel these dark forces, does it ever remind you of criminals and, you know, people that were sick and twisted who had these almost like you could see the possession in them, right? Yes. Um, you know, when I look back about what I did in my career and the people that I came across uh -huh. and, you know, I came across a lot of people who are crazy. They're <laughs> They're screaming at you. They're they're animated. Um, they're you could tell they were on some type of drug or of some sort of influence. But when and at the time, you know, I didn't think much about it because I had a job to do. It was like, okay, let's get this whack off the street, get them somewhere safe, right. and let's get on with the next call. So, in those moments, it was like you always had to find the 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 hard evidence that would say, okay, yeah, this person was freaking out over cocaine or, or he just had a bad mushroom experience. You know, you, you have to find those reasons to get them into some place. But when you peel those away mm -hmm. and then you start looking at the person, mm -hmm. I look back now because I couldn't do it then, but I look back now and I say, you know what? It probably wasn't drugs. Yeah. This person was probably dabbled in something and got himself possessed somehow yes whether whether he invited it himself or it happened because of some circumstance something happened and guess what gee it wasn't the cocaine <laughs> you know um so 
before I retired, I had an incident where uh, I was working in courts and I had brought over uh, a brand new killer who is going to be a serial killer in his life. He, he and I had some discussions because I had to sit in the room with him waiting for him to go into the courtroom. And he would look at me and I would address him every morning. I'd say, look, I know what you're capable of. I know you are thinking about wanting to kill me and escape and maybe gun me down, whatever. I said, that's not gonna happen. Um, and he would look right through me and I could see the black in his eyes. Yep. And it was so piercing that I could feel my soul just chill um, because he wasn't even listening to what I was saying. He was just trying to wait for me to make a slip so that he could kill me and then be on his way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he talked about it daily to me. He'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I know I could escape out this route. And he memorized all the routes uh, and he was just pure evil. But I realized at that moment, it was the only time in my career that I realized I was in the presence of true, true evil. And he wasn't who he was, whether he was possessed or taken over or not, it's unknown, but he definitely had the makings of just being bad for his entire life. No matter what program they put him in, mm -hmm. uh, he is going, he is not going to change. He is set to be evil and that's his destiny. And I could see it, I could feel it. And his eyes were pure black and it was scary. Yeah, because it's not a human being that you're dealing with. Exactly. I understand that really well. I get that. And, you know, you can punish a human being in a courtroom or, you know, right. explain to them by whatever retribution they have to pay after they have been processed through the hopefully non-corrupt legal system, which most of the time works. Yeah. Um, most of the time it works. Most of the time it does. That. Yeah. And, um, you know, thank God for it. Um, you know, people, people need to understand that, yeah, everything has problems. Our legal system has problems. I talk about it a lot, but I also know that it is um, how we are able to keep functioning as a society at the best we can. And, you know, improvements are always necessary and happen as we evolve as a, as a society. But when you are dealing with these dark forces, that you, that black, that black in the eyes, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I had a couple of uh, instances where I had to deal with people like that and I had to sit across from them with you know officers at both sides of them I felt like I was in silence of the lambs all the time and yeah. um, you're you're not even looking at a human being you're staring right into the eyes of like the devil yeah it's it's just demonic so that felt? has to transfer you know to uh, you know, that is the spiritual realm manifesting in a completely uh, physical realm, and it's just a possession, I believe. Yes. Do you agree with that? I, I totally agree with that, and I don't know the history of this kid. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what he was dabbling in life. Right. But the sense I got from him was that he was born that way, and he was that way before he was even born. I believe that. I know that there's some people, you know, I, I, I worked with kids a lot, as you know, so mm -hmm. I know that there's some people, because a lot of the kids come from, you know, you, you want to help them because it's a lot of environmental um, and uh, sadly experiential stuff that happens to them as children. But then there's like that one kid that's like yeah. four years old and you look in his eyes, 
he could be even younger and you're like, dude, there is something really wrong with your soul, but you can't even say it because it's like a child and you're like, you can see what's going to happen. And then boom, eight years later, there's a file on your desk. Yep. It's unreal. Yeah. So yeah, these things are very real. And I believe, you know, I've studied a lot of, it's funny, you find yourself, (laughs) we've, we've we've gone down very similar paths from like law law to food to paranormal and then you find this you find yourself in a spiritual place because you have to explain to yourself at some point what it was that you saw in that person that that was so dark and the experiences that you're bringing to us uh, through your very interesting and unique uh, journey in life I think is valuable for the audience. So, um, you know, I, I know that a lot of people aren't yet familiar with you in, in my audience, but they have heard you in a very censored podcast before. So hopefully this one's going really good. <laughs> but do take a look at Paul's work because it relates to real life. We all enjoy food. Um, and, you know, his, his, his um, passion for food and his passion for justice. I mean, the two things that he's brought together really gives you a sense of what we're going through in these times right now, Paul. Yeah. Because right now the battle that we're experiencing, you know, with people's mindsets or or my God, like, you know, people want police, they don't want police, you know, I just wanna like stab myself with my pencil when I hear these <laughs> things. But um, these things are, you know, very as real to life as our daily need for food. Um, And it's just as necessary for us to indulge in the positive practices of spirituality um, as it is to explore the negative. And I believe it's important to know both. It's not good to know just one side. No, you got to know, you have to know both sides. Yeah. You know, we have to know in our careers uh, how the bad guys think. You have to do it as a matter of survival because you're face to face with that threat. Whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, you have to do it that way. You have to do it that way. You have to know how they think. And yep. for to get it to get somebody, uh, you know, uh, to pay for their crimes or to, you know, we, we can't correct what's been done, but the nope. legal system offers some recourse to victims. And that's why you yep. have attorneys and you right. have to know how the bad guy thinks on my end as well. So at some point it comes to a spiritual question, you know, and I think that there is no thinking for the real bad guys. I think right. that's just how they are. Yes. Yeah. That's very it, important. It, it was their destiny to be that way. This karma. Yeah. Yep. And they may not have any control over that. It was you just, think? in some cases, I think some just don't have a choice. It, it is and it's going to be that way and they can't change it um they're on that path i think so too um you know you and i grew up in sort of this government um business and you and i always follow the rules because we have to in order to survive in that business right um and we need things that are tangible we need when we look for evidence and we look for causes and reasons Mm -hmm. you know you and i have to have sometimes 100% physical proof that this was the path that they were on. And in the spiritual world, it doesn't quite work that way. And so what we are used to in trying to find tangible evidence, now we're looking at something that is much broader than that. And it's not always physical or tangible. 
Right. And, and so, you know, so you have to have the spiritual part of this at long after you leave whatever career you were in, then you have an opportunity to look at things in a spiritual way where you're not bound by the rules or policies of work or government or just general society community being um, you're on a much higher level at that point and all bets are off as far as rules because there really are no rules it's whatever presents itself that's what it is i was just looking up while you're talking ephesians six twelve, which is one of my favorite phrases um which is one of my uh, one of the favorite uh, phrases of many of the veterans that i work with and it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this, uh, of this darkness of this world, uh, against uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. So the battle is spiritual. It manifests in the physical. Yes. So you can fight the physical all you want. You have to because we have to survive, which is what we're talking about. Right. But if you want to win the war you have to know how to fight it in the broader sense and that's why we're coming to bring it back to when you go into the place where there's paranormal activity where right. you're getting the tap on the shoulder the slamming of the doors <laughs> or you can't sleep you have to know how to spiritually be strong in yourself yes like your friend who had just was a novice and that yeah. is uh, a dangerous thing because it's almost like you're going out without wearing your your body armor or your flak jacket. Exactly. You don't have your holster. You don't have your your gun on you that day. I mean, like it's it's it, you can't do that. No. <laughs> and in the spiritual world, they don't care if you uh, are a novice or you're new or you're experienced. They are going to do what they do. Yes. And you have to be prepared for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite, um, what is your favorite, uh, I just, I'm, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite, scariest, most haunted place that you've been to in your, doesn't matter what part of your life, any part of your life. Oh, <laughs> uh oh, hard question. You know, um, there, there have been several in my life, uh, both before my career and, and well after my career. I figured. Yeah. Well, but tell us about some of your favorites or some of your um, most uh one of my one of my absolute most haunting that really can can rattle my core mm -hmm. um was actually came when i was in the boy scouts hmm. and i was in high school and it was very common in the summer i would go on these long extended backpacking trips in, into the woods and there was one moment where I came across a camp that used to belong to the uh, Esalen Indians. And it was a very haunted place. And the problem with being in the woods is you're, you're far, far away from, from civilization, from any help. Uh, in my day, there were no phones. I there were no nothing. Maybe you were Your day is my day. <laughs> yeah. Um, if your flashlight batteries ran out, you were kind of screwed. So I was in one of those areas where it, there was nowhere to run if I was going to be afraid and run. And I, so I was stuck where I was, but there was a haunting that still kind of shakes me up a little bit where 
uh, one of my buddies right after that incident quit the Boy Scouts, never came back. I haven't heard from him since. Really? Um, yeah, it was bad. We, and, and in studying the area afterwards, long afterwards, we found um, that the place was a, a Indian village at one point. Um, there was things that have happened there that were violent. Um, and there was some sort of Native American witch that has taken hold of that particular piece of land. And when people traverse through it and they stay and they stay too long, things start happening. And our night started with a huge redwood tree falling not too far from us. Hmm. And you could hear the crackle in the night. It woke us up. But soon after that, we were hearing children's voices playing and doing stuff. Now, mind you, this is in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere, 10, 15 miles away from civilization. Um, we're in pitch blackness and we're in a valley. And all of a sudden you can hear um, a drum noise as in like an Indian type of drum. Wow. And it's doing a very just steady beat. And it went on for probably 12, 15 hours. Oh my God. We searched wow. high and low for any possible way to, to like debunk that. Like, okay, we're not hearing what we're hearing. It must be X, Y, and Z. Well, we never found X, Y, and Z. Huh. The children's voices, the, uh, we had a recording that had just some really nasty, uh, grovelly kind of sounds on it. Um, you could feel the presence and you can see things happening, shadowy type figures moving around in that camp area at night. And that's probably the most vulnerable I ever felt. Uh, and it was like being caught with your pants down and you're like, oh my God, now what do I do? I'm trying to hike my pants up and get the hell out of here. And then you realize there's nowhere to run. You uh, can't go anywhere. No, so <laughs> we, had to, we had to ride this out until the sun came up. Um, but we can feel the presence and it wasn't, it wasn't a, exactly a dark dynamic presence, but it was shady enough that had us on our toes and scared for, for 15 hours. That's a long, I thought you were going to say 15 minutes. And I was thinking to myself, how long <laughs> 15 minutes really is when there's a, when there's a unexpected event going on, but right. 15 hours, Paul. Yeah. It was wow. a long, long day there. And it didn't matter that the sun was up at a certain hour. Those activities were occurring, but when it came to be the middle of the night, it was the most intense. No, thank you. And we could not <laughs> wait for that sun to get up soon enough. And we wanted to get the hell out of there. Um, but that was, uh, I mean, it's, it's etched in my mind permanently. It's, uh, it's one as if it happened to me yesterday. So that was probably my most haunted experience I've ever had. Well, thank you for sharing that incredibly long, <laughs> very <laughs> harrowing. I didn't expect this 15 hour experience. Yeah. It, <laughs> but that it was, was intense. That would almost set your like life journey off in some way. <laughs> it was almost preparing you uh, to do what you're doing now. Yes. As a matter of fact, it, um, you know, I haven't experienced anything that intense since then. 
-hmm. but I've been in some harrowing experiences in, in the paranormal. Um, uh, you know, I, I've watched people uh, on my own team run out of the building screaming. And, um, and I can only chuckle at them as they leave me behind uh, because I know I've been in worse. And so <laughs> I was like, no, I could tough this one out. This is not, this is not a big deal. They're like the rookies, right? You're yeah. just waiting. Yep. So. I have a question. Uh, have you ever in your, either your law enforcement experience, personal experience, paranormal, well, it's all personal, um, any part of your life, have you ever had people report or have you ever had to investigate uh, any kind of, hold on, let me, I wrote it down so I, I say it correctly, but basically like aerial phenomenon, like uh, unidentified object activity in the air. Have you ever experienced anything like this or have you had to take reports or have you, I don't know, just yeah. any kind of encounter with this kind of topic? Yes. Uh, not very much in my career. Mm -hmm. um, my first exposure to things in the sky that you can't explain mm -hmm. uh, came one night when, when um, my parents took our family um, on a camping trip out in the desert in Mojave. And the, uh, the nighttime sky was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And, um, and you can imagine way back then when we were kids, um, the population was even more sparse than it is today down there. It was so, so nice. You could really, you could really see the universe, you know, yeah. at night. Uh, and we were all laying on a, on a picnic table facing up to the sky and we were watching the stars. And my dad, I remember he was telling stories and he was trying to point out um, constellations and, you know, all these things. Uh, and all of a sudden, we all see this white light far up into the sky, and it's weaving through, perceivably through the stars, and it's zigzagging. And I kept looking at that, and I said, Dad, what the hell is that? And he looked at it, and he looked at it, and I could tell he didn't have an answer because he, he paused too long. And then, then, then came the dismissal, and he was like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's a satellite, you know, maybe doing something out of control. Well, I don't know, but that's the satellite. And, he, and then he brushed it off. And that was, that was the end of that. But I knew better. And I was like, that is not normal. That is very <laughs> UFO-like. And, um, and we're in the middle of the desert. And I'm just a kid, you know, I'm like, I When know, you're a nine. kid, you know. When you're yeah. a kid, you know. You know the truth when you're a kid. Yeah, exactly. Your mind is wide open. So yeah. here I am, eight years old-ish, maybe nine and, uh, and I'm telling myself, no, dad, <laughs> that, that is a UFO of some sort. And it's, it's uh, somehow it's able to weave through some stars. Um, that was my very first exposure to UFOs. And then I, it revisited me when um, I had a couple of calls through the sheriff's office where people would call and they'd say, dude, there was this light that came down and, and, and you know, this is like Boulder Creek area. Mm -hmm. um, it came down and um, descended upon us and it was so bright. It couldn't have been a chopper. It couldn't have been anything else. And drones didn't exist back then. So, uh, you know, you, you, I'd be like, okay, I really don't know how I'm going to explain this on paper. So I'm not putting it on paper, um, but I am going to, you know, close this call out by not calling you a liar and just saying, look, I'm sure you saw what you saw, but I have no evidence physically right. of anything ever happening here other than you might've had a bad mushroom or two. 
I was um, just going to say that Boulder Creek, I guarantee. Yeah, before you fun, called us. Fungus uh, among us. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was typically, I had two of those calls in my career, uh, but that was it. But I've also worked a lot of time on graveyards where I would look up into the sky mm-hmm. and I would see things that were not, um, they really weren't supposed to be there, at least in my perceived mind. Um, so, but I, you know, as, as quickly as I saw it, I quickly dismissed it. And uh, I enjoyed working graveyards just to see things like that. Um, and then just take it into a personal file of mine in my head for later use. But uh, those have been my UFO experiences. Very cool. Thank you for sharing those with us. Um, I also wanted to, let's see if there's anything else here. I don't have anything else particularly. I, ha- I had all those cool questions to ask you and I got to ask them. So <laughs> Do you, you want to tell us about anything else that you're working on or anything else that you're embarking on or anything else, you, just any thoughts you may have or <laughs> anything you want to throw out really, you know? Well, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, I've been on this really cool journey since I've retired. And I, I mean, my whole life has been a cool journey, but uh, I've really been able to dive into things that I, I couldn't because I was bound by the rules and policies of place that I work. Of course. So uh, right now I feel like um, a free man in terms of everything spiritual. And so I really have been taking the time to dive into these things and and not only to get to know myself again, Mm -hmm. but to really enjoy what nature has to offer, really enjoy the people that uh, I hold dearest and that I can hang out with them and, and bring myself to a different level. Uh, but at the same time, I love to travel. I love to eat. I love to have a few drinks. Uh, I like to go out and do ghost hunting and dive into that whole realm and world because it's so vast and new and, and everything changes um, sometimes suddenly. And so it's always exciting. I get an adrenaline rush out of it uh, to go into those places and do that. Uh, and I, was blessed enough to have a radio show and have that platform and to be able to share that experience with, with people who were interested and and like-minded about it and wanted to know where I head from here. I'm transitioning eventually out of radio and uh, transitioning over to television. I have a couple of projects in the works that I I can't talk about, unfortunately, but uh, know that it's, they're in the works and I'm just, um, we're just trying to get our feet grounded in that so that we bring something that is meaningful and not just junk TV. Awesome. I'm all yeah. for that. And I'm looking forward to everything, Paul, because you have so many different things uh, to offer to us and you are already doing so much, but um, I know that you're just going to keep keep going. And that's the beauty of knowing you and being your friend and always learning about what you're doing and um, you know, checking out your photos and starving to death within two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well, it's it's always a joy to be able to talk with you, to hang out with you, and um, catch up with you. You know, we're we're too busy bees, you know, and um, time is fleeting sometimes, and okay. it's just nice to have a moment with you. And so, I greatly Thank appreciate you. having me on your show. Uh, I appreciate you being here. Maybe some, one day uh, you will have your own podcast. It's 
uh, Perhaps. I'll, I'll be, or, or, or even better. And then um, we'll be able to see you even more. So I'm looking forward to all these different ways where we can connect with you. And I, for the audience who's listening, I will include again, all of Paul's links that he pr has provided me with, which are on the flyer. If there's anything else, Paul, I'll ask you so I can include them on the description Certainly. to this podcast so that you guys can go ahead and connect with Paul as well. And I, I look forward to having you back as a guest because things will evolve and change and we, we have, we'll have more things to talk about. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, Delara. It's always good to see you. And thank you all for tuning into uh, this episode, this vlogcast with the Paul Tashiro uh, on A Fistful of Truth. And uh, God bless you all. And where we go one, we go all.